You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. We may live over 5,000 miles from Lincoln Financial Field. But what we lack in proximity, we make up for in the film study. And each and every week, we will be bringing you in-depth film breakdowns from across the pond and the Sooner State. Welcome to On the Shane Page. I am your host, Shane Half. You can follow me on Twitter at ShaneHalfNFL. And I'm joined by BGN's own Johnny Page. Give him a follow on Twitter at JohnnyPage9. Johnny, how are you doing this evening? I am well. I guess it is officially draft season now. I know the Eagles were not in the Super Bowl, but whenever the whenever the Super Bowl ends, you have to emotionally remember that you're not going to watch a proper game now for about, what, six months or so or longer. So I've already started draft season. Uh, I think we're officially in. Uh, I was very, very sad to watch the 49ers lose. Uh, I was, of course, not. It was a very weird Super Bowl, actually, because I didn't want either team to win. So I, I, in the end, I found myself just wanting to root for the Chiefs because I just kept seeing Andy Reid on the side. And I was like, I'll go on then. Um, but I didn't really want either team to win. Like, I wish the Lions or the Ravens were in there because it would have been a bit more interesting for me. I'd have had something to root for. So, um, yeah, it, it was it was actually a really interesting game, though. I said we'd start by talking about it a little bit, but I actually enjoyed the game quite a lot. I think the first half was, like, really dull, if I'm, if I'm honest, and then I expected it. But then I think it got really good. I think like the game management side of things at the end, it was quite a cool game. I imagine there's a lot of lessons to learn. And I really enjoyed that clip of like Carl Shanahan walking off at the end when the confetti was all going down. Like, I can't lie. There's something about Shanahan and that whole the whole like myth and mystique around him and that offense. I like McCaffrey, I like Kittle. I even like Purdy to be fair, but don't like Debo. Um and he sucked by the way. So that was good. And it was just yeah, there's something about the 49ers that, you know, I think the Eagles 49ers rivalry is now legit. Um, oh yeah so i can't lie i was definitely rooting for the chiefs even though they beat us last year but there we go yeah my favorite part of the game was watching debo samuel get targeted 11 times and coming away with 33 receiving yards um definitely one of my least favorite players in the league and you know the the fan aspect of you and i may not come through a lot in this more kind of analytical x's and o's podcast so i'll just tell you guys i was pulling so hard against debo and the 49ers in that game um I, I actually thought, and we're going to get into Kellen Moore, so you guys don't worry if you're not interested in the Super Bowl at all. We'll be quick and then get to Kellen Moore. But I actually thought the game was really good. Um, even in the first in the first half, I know people, low-scoring games aren't people's cup of tea necessarily, but I just thought even the first half was really good. And maybe it's because I'm more into the X's and O's now than I used to be, but like watching you know, watching Spags plan on defense against the 49ers was fascinating to me. Uh, watching what the 49ers were doing to the Chiefs. Uh, I just, I thought it was all really fascinating even before we got into, you know, the back and forth of the second half and ultimately ending in overtime. So I knew people were not a huge fan of the first half. I thought it was a great game all the way through. And obviously you could say there's some bias in this, um, 
but I think it's pretty easy to say the best Super Bowl in recent memory was the Eagles win over the Patriots. Uh, last year's game is probably up there, and this year's game, those are probably the three best Super Bowls in the last, I don't know, eight or nine, ten years, I would imagine, so at least for me. Yeah, it was weird, like, um, because I, I should have been rooting for the Chiefs because of Andy Reid. There, there's just a part of me that was like, I always try and root for teams that haven't won it. It's just... Uh, the romantic in me or whatever you want to call it. Uh, why did someone feel the field who hadn't won it before? And it just felt too easy for the Chiefs. But I, about through the, halfway through the fourth quarter, um, I don't want to sound like one of those guys who knew what was going to happen, but I was just sat there thinking there is no way the 49ers are winning this. You could just see them bottling it as the game went on. Like the offense just wasn't doing it. I've seen so many tweets about Mahomes this week. And I know Mahomes is unbelievable in big situations. I get it. But like the 49ers scored, what, 19 regular uh, like uh, points? Like, you yeah. can't win a game scoring nine. I know the Chiefs defense is very good, but come on. Like, you can score more than 19. Um, they just really didn't turn up on offense. I think their numbers are okay, but they kept getting the ball back in decent situations as well. Like, they just couldn't do it. Like, we've seen teams give them more trouble than 19 points. I mean, the Bills, for a start, um, caused them a lot more trouble a couple of weeks ago. So, it was just, it was strange. Um, it was weird not rooting that much for one team. Like, I didn't know what I wanted. Um, I don't like the 49ers, as I mentioned, but yeah, there was a few things I wanted to get into. So I'll start with you, because actually, like you said, I think X and O's wise, this was a really interesting game. Really interesting. I think there's a lot of stuff actually that, that would affect the league long term as well. I think a lot of coordinators will obviously watch this game, they'll study it. Um, there's a few things I wanted to talk about, but before I get onto myself, was there anything in particular that you had that like maybe relate to the Eagles or just big picture philosophical stuff? Because we like talking about that kind of stuff here. It's a nerdy podcast, it's what we do. Um yeah. So yeah, anything in particular? A couple things. Um, one is just Spag's game plan I thought was fantastic. Um, the Chiefs blitzed on 51.2% of the 49ers dropbacks. That was their fourth highest rate, not this season, in any game under Steve Spagnolo. Like they wanted to stop the run. They were run, they were stacking the box, run blitzing on early downs. They wanted to stop the run and force Purdy to throw quickly. Uh, they cover zero blitz like four times more than anybody else that's played the 49ers this year. And you're you're playing with fire when you do that because Debo Samuel, if he can get open against man coverage, which let's be honest, is a big weakness for him. His splits versus man and zone are very jarring, but he's a broken tackle machine. And so all it takes is that one catch and it could be a 75 yard touchdown. And that becomes hard to continue to do in a game where your offense isn't working well, but he stuck with it, played a tremendous amount of cover zero and cover one. And I thought it, it really threw off the 49ers uh their rushing attack i mean they had i think it was negative 0.36 epa per rush which is their lowest of the season it really took the wind out of the sails there um and then the thing that that doesn't necessarily tie in directly to the eagles because i saw people say you know we'll see the eagles should have blitzed more when they played the chiefs last year and I mean, at the end of the day, it helps having Legereus Sneed and Justin Reed and Trent McDuffie and Nick Bolton and guys that you trust to come up and tackle and cover guys. And the Eagles don't have that. So you do have to prioritize that second level and third level of the defense more. But the thing I think the Eagles do have right is that interior pressure is so much more valuable than edge pressure. Uh, Brock Purdy averaged 1.9 yards per play when the Chiefs got interior pressure. And he averaged 9.1 when they got edge pressure. There's a reason that people said the weakness of Tom Brady was quick interior pressure. 
it's because that's universal. That wasn't a Tom Brady weakness. There is not a quarterback that ever has or ever will play the game that won't struggle against quick interior pressure. But there's so much you can do to negate edge pressure. And so, I mean, you can talk about what kind of player Jordan Davis will turn into, but defensive tackles back-to-back in the first round is not necessarily a bad thing because if you want to disrupt these quarterbacks, pressure up the middle is the universal way to do it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, actually, you actually start my first point, um, which is perfect, and I can get to more because I've got a few. Um, but Spags and talent was going to be one. Like, there's been so much good stuff written about Spags of late and how good his scheme is. But essentially, not a really boring answer. They played a lot of like cover one. Uh, they blitz a lot. They played a lot of press man. None of that works if you can't win in man coverage in the back end. Like, it's you can say what you want. Um, about sort of like the defensive coordinators in general. And yes, he had a great game plan, but I'm always so big on this podcast about players over scheme. I think coordinators' jobs is to put players in the best position. Uh, and you can't do that if your players aren't good. So when you're looking at draft, you're looking at free agency, the Eagles defense needs more talent. Like it's so obvious when you watch some of these other teams play um, how young and how fast they are in comparison to the Eagles. Um, a few things that stood out for me in general um, that I think you can relate to the Eagles. I think one's, it's a really weird point, actually. I didn't even put this into the chat to you because I forgot. But um, neither team had a receiver go over, like, 57 yards. Like, the 49ers had no one over 50. The Chiefs' best receiver was Justin Watson and Miko Harmon with 57 and 54 yards. And I think it's interesting to look at the way modern offenses are built and how, like, I think the Eagles are a little bit behind in terms of they don't use the tight end enough last year, considering how good I think Goddard is. And you see, I know Travis Kelsey is a freak, but you see him, like, 9 for 93. And then running backs in the past game, McCaffrey went eight for 80. Um, I think players that aren't just like star wide receivers, I think matter. I think some of the best matchups you can get in the league at the moment are still like tight ends on safeties um, and running backs on linebackers. And I think the Eagles maybe don't use that enough. And this came to mind because I read an article recently by Jimmy Kemsky um, talking about players like staying and going and DeAndre Swift. And I didn't realize how bad Swift's numbers were in the end receiving the ball. Like they just didn't use him. Like, I forget because he had that spell when he was really good at receiving. And I was talking about it loads because I was like, aha, this is it. They're going to target him loads. Like, I think like week four and five, he had like, or five and six, he had like 15 receptions. And then he just died. Like, they just didn't really use him very much at all. So I think one takeaway I had was like, you need as many weapons as possible, basically. Like, there's no there's no such thing as too many weapons. Um, just have multiple players that you can run for an offense. The Eagles funneling their offense through three players isn't good enough. Um, and you see that. I know the Chiefs didn't have a lot of success elsewhere, but they still have a lot of guys they can go to in different situations. Um, the other things I wanted to mention were more on the 49er side of things, which I thought were really interesting. So if you haven't, uh, and you're a real nerd like I am, go and watch QB scores breakdown of the 49ers offense. Because um, we're not going to talk about it here because we're Eagles fans, and I haven't rewatched the game closely. But he's very critical of Brock Purdy and Kyle Shanahan in their dropback game. And the thing he's very critical about in particular was Purdy never takes down the field shots. Like they had guys open. There were times when Purdy checks it down rather than go down the field. And I think it's a simple case. And I think JT sort of referenced this in his video. I think it's just arm talent. I think some of the stuff that like he wants Brock Purdy to do, I'm just not sure Purdy can do athletically um, and sort of physically his body. And I mentioned it because we're not going to talk about the QB rankings that fly around because you're going to see some great runs with Hertz of late. Uh, we know they're coming. We know draft guys. They like sticking to what they've said. Uh, we're not going to name names, but you know who I'm talking about. And it's just interesting when you talk about like talent. Like Purdy looks really good. And Purdy played, I thought Purdy played well overall, but you can't see live what plays they're not making. 
And I think when we talk about Jalen Hurts being over-aggressive and Nick Sirianni being over-aggressive, there are times when I watched the 49ers on that uh, game rewatch and you think, yeah, do you know what? This is why it's good to be aggressive because sometimes you've got to take a few shots. Like they had chances. When you watch the video, I know you haven't seen it yourself, Shane, um, but for anyone who has, like there's multiple occasions when he doesn't take a shot. And then my final thing is, um, it's not all about X's and O's. So game management, like targeting players in the right situations, having the right play is great, but it's not just about X's and O's. Kyle Shanahan might be the best play designer there is, uh, but it's not just about that. Like his game management is not good enough. And I'm not just talking about the overtime, taking the ball and the players being underprepared. Um, I feel like that discussion has been totally missed when people keep talking about the fact that he could have taken the ball. It's irrelevant because if the players weren't prepared for it, that's just bad coaching. Um, but it's like their standard drop back game on like third and eight. I think they're like third at uh, third for 12 or three for 12 in third down this game. Their standard drop back game, they could not handle the blitz. Um, one of the things I think JT that really made me think was how he was talking about this idea of sort of the 49ers have a lot of positionless players and they use a lot of motion on early downs. And that's, this is things that we want the Eagles to have. But the other side of that is that when you're in like third and long, the motion doesn't have the same impact because the Chiefs just weren't scared of it. And secondly, when they got caught on third and four, um, a lot of people spoke about this play already when they didn't pick up the free rusher and they didn't have a hot answer. Part of that was because Kittle would ended up in the backfield because of all the movement around they were doing. They wanted Christian McCaffrey out wide and Kittle just didn't really seem to have an idea of where to go blocking wise. So I think it's really interesting. Like sometimes it's very easy to watch other offenses and think the Eagles are the only ones in the world who struggled against the blitz and with like designing plays. It is a universal thing and it's why... It made me feel a little bit better about Sirianni, actually, in that I don't think Sirianni is obviously the best X's nose guy, but I think he is really good at time at basically winning football games. And I think some of that comes down to field of game, game management, knowing when to use your timeouts. I mean, some of the timeouts that were wasted in this game as well. Uh, the Chiefs third and one is horrendous, like horrendous um, to take that timeout and not convert. So I think I, in some ways, yeah, sorry, you're going to mention that as well. Uh, yeah, M Mitchell Schwartz talked about that on Twitter. And I love following, you know, I love Mitchell Schwartz for some of the things he talks about with O-line play and stuff, but he missed it on this one because he said, you know, time was running out. What do you want? What do you want him to do? Take a delay a game and now it's third and six. Yes. Like it's been, it has been borne out in the models that you lose more win probability by calling a timeout, especially in the second half. Uh, but it's almost never worth it to take a timeout to save a delay of game. It's almost never worth it. And it's obviously that's, that's process, not results, but the results where they lined up in the same formation, ran the yeah. same play they probably already had and got stuffed and punted it anyways. And that could have really mattered. Like at the end of the game, when mm -hmm. they're trying to get a stop against the 49ers and they've only got two timeouts instead of three, all of a sudden, if you give up that first down and they didn't, they called the blitz, dialed up the blitz on third down, got off the field. But if you don't, the game was over. Uh, so that that's a big one. And I thought both coaches don't do the best job in those situations. Uh, I, I was shocked. Like my jaw hit the floor, though, when Kyle Shanahan elected to go for it on fourth and three at the 15 yard line. Uh down a field goal with 12 minutes left that shocked me because that's not something he would normally do uh so that i guess both sides of that i was surprised by both coaches at certain junctures and how they handled some of that yeah i just think big picture it was something when i was watching it and especially like sort of looking at numbers back i think well, if you if you're calling plays as well and you're designing the offense like shadahan it's a lot to manage the game as well like he's in charge of everything and I think it's hard. And I think actually it gives some credence to the idea of having a head coach who oversees things. 
and then having like play callers that isn't their coach basically because i think those moments matter hugely and i think shanahan has basically struggled struggled for numerous years now i don't think it's a coincidence i think it's easy to say he's not very good at it but i think it's also in important to remember that he's calling plays like he's trying to think what plays works like it's not it's not an easy job um, i think he desperately needs like a second-hand man basically to like help him out with stuff like that and it did make me feel a bit better uh selfishly about the eagles thinking you know what if sirianni ends up becoming like that top guy who makes these decisions and uses analytics and talks to his coaches but doesn't call plays doesn't design everything i think there is some credence to that um speaking of designer plays uh we've waffled a little bit longer than super Bowl i intended so should we get into part two of uh, Kellen Moore, because last week we spoke a lot about the run game and like motion and stuff. So this week, uh, I thought we'd talk more big picture pass game stuff. Yeah, my last point on the Super Bowl is luck. I mean, the Chiefs fumbled the ball five times and they recovered four of them. And the game turned on a muffed punt that hit a blocker, not even the punt return. It was a shanked punt that ended up hitting a guy and goes right back to the Chiefs. One play later, they scored their only touchdown a year ago. Jalen Hurts fumbles the ball. The Eagles have one fumble. No, actually, I think they had two, but Hurts fumbles the ball and Nick Bolton scoops it and scores it. And so luck plays a tremendous amount too when you have evenly matched teams. And, uh, you know, so far in back-to-back years, the Chiefs have been that team that was the beneficiary of those lucky bounces. But uh, yeah, anyways, enough of that. Let's get on to talking about Kellen Moore. We talked at length about, oh, actually, okay, hold on. I lied. I have to throw out one more thing about no, the Super there we Bowl. Go. Um, I don't know if you noticed, Johnny, but on that last play of the game that won the game in overtime, did you notice what happened before the snap? Are you talking about like the motion or the... Yeah, yeah. Did you notice a wide receiver went in motion and the Super Bowl was won on motion for the second year in a row? I know where you're going here. Yep. I, I did, did you tweet a certain person online, Shane, by any chance? Or did you refrain I... from... I didn't tweet anybody Good. in particular, but I did retweet my initial response about motion mattering because it does. It absolutely does. And the, I mean, that, that led to the mismatch that uh, won the Super Bowl. So uh, scheming up, scheming open a receiver who had less than 150 yards receiving on the year. So, and I mentioned that because I was going to say last week, we talked about the run game and we talked about motion and how it tied into the run game and somehow it tied into the passing game. But we do want to get a little bit deeper into the Kellen Moore passing game. Um, and so uh, Johnny has a great article out on BGN that goes into this in depth. Again, think of this as a companion piece to that article. But we're going to talk about some of the formation things that Kellen Moore likes to do and uh specifically how they handle the blitz with quick games so uh johnny which are the which one do you want to talk about first and we'll dive in let's talk blitz because how can you not talk blitz considering what happened last year all right let's do it um now i'll I'll give some stats here at the front uh dak prescott was consistently good against the blitz under kellen moore uh from 2020 to 2022 so that's a three-year stretch Dak Prescott ranked second in success rate each of those three seasons against the Blitz. Uh, Now, you might say that it's because Dak's just a really good quarterback, and Dak is a good quarterback. Uh, But however, this year in 2023 without Kellen Moore is the first time Dak has been under a 50% success rate against the Blitz in the last four years. Now, context, full disclosure, he's still ranked fifth in the league, so it's not like he was really bad, but it was definitely a down year. And it was a down year in which 
you know, they finally, they got Brandon cooks and they got a tight end that got him going. And so they had some more weapons maybe than they had in 21 and 22. Maybe it's a little bit of Dak meshing with that. But uh, the point being that Kellen Moore offenses have traditionally been very good against the blitz. And I know you tweeted out links to some Cowboys playbooks from when Kellen Moore was there. And by the way, if you ever try to read a playbook, it's tremendously complicated. Um, but one of the things that really struck me is just the amount of reads and the amount of answers for, you know, middle field open, middle field close for blitz that were in there. And so uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit, but I know we dialogued about it some off air. Yeah, let's go for it. What I love about this podcast, Shane, um, is that I talk about, is I write about things and then you give me stats that tell me that I'm right, which is amazing. So I don't look at the numbers anywhere near as much as you. And honestly, it's not because I'm not a stats guy. Like I think stats have a huge role to play. It's basically just, I'm not as good at looking stuff up. So I watched, as I mentioned, like six games in 2022. The vibe I got was they were good against the Blitz. Now that could be complete nonsense. It could be wrong, but that was the, you get a vibe when you watch games, don't you? Uh, Especially when you watch a lot of games in a row. I think it helps that he's got two very, very good quarterbacks against the Blitz. Um, Dak and Herbert are very cerebral. Um, however, um, let's talk a little bit about what I saw on film. So this is the first thing. You mentioned this playbook. So this playbook is out there online. It's an absolute... I mean, I hate reading playbooks. I'm a scheme geek because it's, they're just a minefield unless you exactly know what you're looking for. But I had lots of comments like, how could the Eagles not fix their play against the Blitz? And I think it's because, quite simply, you can't in season that easily. Like, it's a whole offensive design. Like it's a whole architecture around the way you build an offense and the Eagles offense did not have answers to pressure. And just to throw that in there is really hard. So basically all of the Cowboys plays nearly literally every single one. This is from 2021, by the way, you see quite often it's a hot built in. So immediately that tells you that actually it's not a check they're making. It's very simply like if there's pressure, there will be a short passing option, which is basically your hot that is built in. So forget audibles and everything. The other thing you'll see is the term bandit built in. Now, Bandit, I asked Honest NFL, because if you're stuck about something really nerdy, go to him uh, or her, who knows? And uh, they said that uh, Bandit is basically where you get weak side pressure that turns into almost like a separate hot. So sometimes if you're getting backside pressure, you want to throw into the pressure for the exact reason that what the Eagles didn't do last year was they didn't do this. And then Jalen Hurts kept getting killed by backside pressure. And actually, Brock Purdy got killed by backside pressure a couple of times uh, in the Super Bowl as well. And it's, it looks obvious because you just see the quarterback throw it and get whacked. So this is all like, when you think about it, Shane, this is one play. There's hundreds of plays. Then there's different formations. Then there's different motions. Then there's different defensive looks. It's not easy. This stuff is not easy. I'm going to be really boring, really boring. When I watch the Eagles offense, sorry, when I watch the Cowboys offense, uh, and when I watch the Chiefs offense, sorry, not Chiefs, Chargers, there was very little, like, really cool big plays against the Blitz. In fact, I saw a lot less of it than I thought. I basically just saw, like, good offensive architecture. I know that's, like, a really boring thing to say, but it just looked very, very easy. So I'll show you a couple of examples that I looked at on film. Um, and I think this is all game plan. This is all to do um, with game planning. So you've got the first one up here. This is really, really simple. What I want you to do, they're in empty, which is, by the way, a very useful formation against blitzes. Um, the Eagles made it look terrible last year because every team would send six and the Eagles wouldn't, um, wouldn't adjust. But the Cowboys know here, basically, if they get pressure, they're going to have enough to deal with it. Um, the other thing you can do is you can not have really condensed formations. And the Eagles had really, really condensed formations at times last year. And then they got uh, pressure off the slot. And by the way, Again, Super Bowl, 49ers had way too many condensed splits on third down, which is another reason why they got blitzed so often. But this is like, 
a whole offensive approach. Like, I don't know here what the read is. I don't know what the play is. I don't know who's meant to do what. All I know is the second this linebacker blitzes, it's possible, Shane, this is meant to be the route that the tight end is running. So we, this is why I talk about film. We can never be certain. But I think when you look at this, this looks to me like he's seen the guy blitzing and changed his mind on what he's doing. Um, I have no nothing to back that up. I have absolutely zero like basis for that. But I think this is all about being a good offensive coordinator and also being a good quarterback. So if you look pre-snap, that linebacker looks to me like he's coming. Like he's trying to hide it pre-snap. And then there's you look at tendencies. But also, if you're being honest, Shane, look at the slot quarterback at the top. He looks like he could be coming as well. So mm-hmm. I don't think you can be certain here who's coming. But basically, if either one of them comes, you're either two on two or three on three. And then you know, based on the fact that two guys are deep, as in the two safeties, that someone's going to be open in the middle of the field. Um, oh, the slot corner actually fakes to come. I didn't realize that. So the slot corner actually fakes like he's in the blitz. But this is just game planning. Like, I don't even want to say this is a bad play for the defense. The defense will probably say, well, it's six, seven yards. Fine. Like, that's just football. You always have to take a 20, 30, 40 yard shot as if to like punish a team for blitzing. Sometimes the defense might know you're going to check it down. It might be they blitz you on third and 10 because they know that your answer is a six yard pass. Everyone moans online going, how can you throw it short to sticks on third and 10? And it's because that is how the offense was designed. You see a lot of this on film. So there's a lot and lot of this on film. Um, the other stuff you can do, and this ties in nicely with last week, is you can use shifts and you can use motion to help you get answers before you snap the ball, which then makes it easier to deal with pressure. So there's another good example I came across with the charges, where basically they use pre-snap uh, like shifts. And what you realize is they sort of catch defense out because defense wants to bring pressure up the middle. And because it's a condensed formation, um, they think they can do this. Then when the charges shift the guy out, they realize like, oh, they're almost like screwed because they're three on two. Uh, there's obviously going to be a guy over on the left-hand side. And I think um, the defense here just massively doesn't adapt well enough to the shift. I think they do a really cool thing where they shift twice just to really create that two-on-one. Like, it's almost obvious. Now, you could almost guess what they're going to do here. They're going to try and drop a defender out to get in that lane. And this is why I mean. This is like part of the chess match. Like, the defense knows this as well. They're not idiots. Um, but sometimes football sit books are simple, and they're too slow at getting out. So I just felt like watching Kenny Moore's offense that the way they use motion and shifts already gives them more answers than the Eagles had. But basically, you could just tell they work on it a lot. Like, and it's hard to explain why when you're watching film, but you have to really go back. I'm showing people like three players here and I would have watched like, I don't know, 600 passing plays. Um, I'll show you one final one, Shane. Because what I like about this one is this is a different team. It's the Chargers. So a different quarterback, but it's the same offensive architecture. Um, I've just linked it to Jimmy Chat now. It's very, very similar. What you see, first of all, is they come to the line of scrimmage with a bit of time left. Now, when it looks like there's going to be a blitz, Justin Herbert sees it, and you can see him audibling here. He's now changing the play. He knows something's happening. They shift a receiver down to, to make it a little bit more condensed on the left-hand side as well. Um, and it's the same thing. He essentially throws it into a guy who sits down from where pressure's coming. Like, it's very, very basic. It's essentially... Find the gaps where the defense, when the defense blitzes, we spoke about this last year when you could rush five, there are going to be bigger gaps because there's less men to cover. And it's very simple, but if you throw where pressure's coming from, it's very likely that they haven't been able to replace the guy that quickly in that gap. Um, it's just very, it's very simple. Like nothing here is rocket science. Like I'm not posting plays that are revolutionary. Like this could be a four or five yard gain and people would moan, oh, they're checking it down too much, but he ends up breaking a tackle. So it ends up becoming like a, I don't know, 12, 14 yard game. But I just felt the offense was really prepared in general. That was my general vibe I got overall. 
Now, I think whether Hertz can read defenses, whether line of scrimmage, whether he can do this as efficiently is a whole other topic for discussion. The answer is we don't know because the Eagles didn't do this last year. And we know they didn't because we watched every snap. And we know that we didn't see tight ends adjusting their routes in the middle of the field to give them options. So I feel like the offense in general is very well planned against the blitz. It's quite meticulous. It's quite consistent what they do. And um, they don't like take deep shots. They don't just throw it one-on-one on the outside. Like they, that was not their game plan in the games I watched. Now it could be that they change next year a little bit because they didn't have AJ Brown in Dallas um, or in uh, LA. But I think that playbook gives you a hint and the plays back it up. It's something they carefully think about. And it's something that they spent a lot of time on in the off season because that's when this stuff has to work. It has to be repped and practiced hard and it has to be in the playbook. You can't just make up things as you go along. Like it's not Madden. You can't just call it a quick slant that easy. Like it doesn't work that way in the real, in real life. Um, so yeah, that's all my long summary, but I really enjoyed watching the play against the Blitz. If I'm honest, I didn't see that many examples of it at the time, Shane, because a lot of teams didn't Blitz the Cowboys. So I had to really look out for it. Like you, if you want to just go and watch Blitz from the 49ers, turn on the film this week and you'll see, like as you said, 50% of the play, it wasn't like that in Dallas. And um, they weren't Blitz in the games I watched as much, probably because they were good at it. So yeah, that's my Blitz uh, summary. Sorry for going on a little bit there. Yeah, and it, it's just... It's simple. It's not rocket science, um, but finding those spots, sitting down, having the answers built in. and But he doesn't just have answers built in for the blitz. Like so many times I feel like you would see the Eagles offense last year. We dialed up a shot play, play action, max protect, but the defense didn't bite on it. And there's just nothing. There's no other option. Hertz is going to scram, roll out and throw the ball away. And I think Moore does a good job of, even in like his shot plays or whatever, he has plans built in for everything. Like, you know, middle field open, middle field closed. Like, for example, uh, you know, you see a play and like the Eagles love to run dagger, right? Dagger, it's a slot vertical route to pull out or to drive off the deep half safety. And then you run a dig route in behind it, the deep end route into that vacated space. And this is something you run against, uh, two high safety looks, middle field open, because you want to drive off that one half safety, dig right underneath him. But they would pair that with like a crossing route, which is designed to attack middle field closed or a single high safety. Because if you run a single high safety, our dagger look, and you know, we're going to rotate. So say we, we showed split field and we rotate into single high. And if the Eagles dialed up dagger, it's like, oh shoot, it's not there. And we have no answer for that. But so many times Kellen Moore would package that with like also a crossing route, which is going to cross the face of that deep safety. And you have to run with that or give up the the dig route. And I feel like there's a lot of that on the film that there's an answer for whatever coverage shell the defense wants to use if they do drop into coverage. Like it's this idea that no matter what, sooner or later, if a play plays out long enough or if it goes far enough down the field, it becomes man coverage, right? Even, you know, if you think about just base cover three, if I have a guy, if I have AJ Brown running a streak down the right sideline, essentially that becomes man coverage. It's one cornerback on him and Moore does a good job of giving answers for whichever matchup it is that turns into a one-on-one. You have leverage, you've got, you know, a window to make a throw. And that's one of the things that really stuck out to me is that, you know, we talk a lot about the answers to the blitz. But there's other things you need answers to as well. And we get hyper-focused on the blitz. I just think Moore does a good job of building those answers in 
to everything, even to that play we showed earlier. He's got that seam route from the slot receiver. And, you know, there's things in there. He's supposed to cross the shoulder. Uh, of If it's middle field closed, if it's middle field open, he's supposed to drive it upfield and drive that safety off. And uh, there's a lot of those things built into Moore's plays. Uh, and I think that's going to be big for the offense. Yeah, I think it's much more complex. And I don't want to make the Eagles offense sound too simple last year, but there were times when it was just like, we're better than you. So we don't need a lot of these alternatives. It's like single high, let it fly. Sounds a bit simple, but I think sometimes it genuinely was. Um, as you're talking, Shane, I'm like, oh, I've got a great play for this. So if you're watching on YouTube, and if you're not, we'll try our best to describe it. So the um, Chargers here on a double post, and they motion Keenan Allen out uh, far uh, right. And then basically um, what double post does quite often against split safety looks is the uh, safety uh, will take the inside post and then the outside post will basically have a great chance because you've got uh, inside leverage against an outside cornerback. So double post is a brilliant play. Um, there's loads of great plays against cover four, like old school. I always think of like post crossed and like post out and like mills and stuff. And what I like about this play is that what they've also got, because it's a great example of what um, you were talking about there, and they've also got answers to sort of whatever the chart, whatever the offense or defense is giving them, sorry. So you have the crossing route, which is brilliant because basically 99% of the time you're throwing with double post will probably against, be against zone coverage. Um, you, you're basically looking for cover four quarters or whatever. Um, we don't really see as much cover two zone these days. So we're looking for something like that. But if they did get man coverage, uh, you could then decide to go to the crossing route underneath. Um, you've also got a nice little like check down and curl route to the left-hand side. So if you didn't like the numbers to the right, you could look left. And then if it's like man coverage, you could hit the curl. If you wanted to just check it down, you could do that as well. Um, it's just in the very nice example of a play that I think in very, very simple terms, if you get the zone you're looking for, you're throwing the deep post. And if you get man coverage, you've got the crossing route straight away um, that should give you a good chance. And the other thing I like about the crossing route, Shane, is um, it's to Quinton Johnson, who is lined up in a stack as well. So he is almost like hidden uh, a yard behind the wide receiver in front of him. So if it is man coverage, that's going to be a really hard guy to cover. So I think that's a really nice example of his pass game in general, as you spoke about, where you're giving the quarterback answers. And we might get into this later on about where Hurts will maybe struggle with this at times. Because it might be he has to figure out more than he's had to in the past. But I think we're at a stage now of his career, of his development, and of the offense in general, where that stuff is needed. There needs to be a little bit more complexity. Um, because really, if we're being honest, too basic doesn't help anyone. Like, you're not helping Jalen Hurts by making it basic if you're not giving him any answers. Because it just means that he can't survive when the call isn't perfect. And we saw that too often last year. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So that's a little bit of quick game and blitz. 
another thing that he does a lot uh, is he takes great effort to isolate his X receiver, whether that be going into three by one sets with a running back in the backfield uh, or even going into quad formations where you have, you know, four strong, uh, four strong, especially messes with defenses because it messes up all of your coverage rules. And oftentimes it's going to lock some cornerback on your isolated receiver without really help. If you devote help over the top, then you're playing at a numbers disadvantage on the other side. And that's something that Kellen Moore does a lot. I think it's a role that AJ Brown particularly will thrive in. Although uh, I'm really interested to see Devonte Smith in this offense because Devonte Smith's such a good route runner, uh, and I could see situations where you could give Devonte Smith the one-on-one shot with some choice routes and things. Um, I, I'm about to sidetrack here, but I'm interested to see how much they use Devonte Smith in the slot. Um, Devonte Smith took 21% of his passing reps in the slot in 2022. It was 25% in 2023. Uh, CD lamb really jumped up his slot reps in 2023 without Kellen Moore. He was at 33% in 2022. It went up to 52% this year. Uh, I, I it probably factors a lot into what they do at wide receiver three. If they get a bigger bodied guy, if they get a slot guy, but I think Devontae Smith could be so good, especially like motioning into these slots and things, but uh, just something that came to mind here. But yeah, uh, going going into these four-by-one sets or even three-by-one sets, really trying to isolate A.J. Brown as that X receiver is something I think we could see a lot. Uh, and I know you've got some examples of it here, so we can pull those up and take a look. Yeah, what I love about these examples, I love when you see the same thing for two different offenses because it really makes you realize that it's like a, it's a Kellen Moore thing. Um, what I love about plays like this as well, Shane, is it's about understanding the personnel. So C.D. Brown is an absolute star. C.D. Brown, wow, made up a player. That's a good start. Uh, <laughs> C.D. Lamb is an absolute star. And A.J. Brown is an absolute star. And what this is when I talk about players over scheme. Like, if you're running this exact play um, and you're thinking, oh, I'm brilliant, but it's Debo Samuel versus Trent McDuffie, everyone's moaning about you because everything's incomplete. Um, but when you actually win in a one-on-one matchup, all of a sudden you look a genius as a coach. So all they're doing here is they're basically running uh, trips to the left and then the running back also goes out there. So you can call it quads, you can call it four strong. I mean, there's lots of names for very, but essentially, basically, you are isolating the uh, receiver on the right one-on-one. And the other reason why you often get this is a lot of teams now have Fangio principles. And we spoke about this last week about uh, the tricks call, uh, where quite often you get the safety that is looking strong side um, because obviously there are four players on one side of the field and one player on the other. Therefore, you often look to that side. Um, because if you don't double up on that side and you don't use calls like tricks, then in zone coverage, you can be an absolute nightmare because the defense can use those four receivers to flood you. So there's a great example there of um, CD Lamb winning a one-on-one. And then if you go to the Chargers film, which is the second clip I posted, it is the exact same thing, like literally identical with this time to Mike Williams. Um, this time they used a running back in motion. So it's a little bit different in terms of like the way you dress it up. Um, but that's what coaches say all the time about the same concept dressed up differently. Uh, it's the same thing. They're now sending, you've got four strong, four and one exactly, and then you just hit a slant again. Um, and that safety is going to have to watch that four receiver side a little bit carefully. Um, it's it's and it's not like, a, I'm not talking about good or bad here. We're just trying to understand what the offense is. Like, I'm not talking about, oh, wow, look at this. Other teams can do this as well. It's just a little bit about how he designs his offense. 
I think he really designs it looking at isolating receivers. And I think this is something that he feels very strongly about. I think in that um, coach clinic where a few people have been linked to on Twitter, he speaks about this. So we're not just like guessing, like you can see him do it all the time as well. I think AJ Brown is going to get the majority of these targets. And I think AJ Brown is going to have a, a, a very, very big year. But you're right about the one text as well. Like there's going to be ways, there's going to be times when he's going to find himself uh, targeted heavily in the slot because some teams will double AJ Brown. They will take away that one-on-one, one-on-one matchup. And in that case, you're going to get a, a lot of Devontae Smith targets on the other side because that's essentially the downside of doubling the one receiver is you're, assen- you're essentially pre-snap. You almost have to make it obvious pre-snap as well. So you're essentially very, very clearly having two men on one side of the field, which opens up a lot of answers on the um, strong side. So yeah, I think that's one thing that was really obvious on, on film. Um, is how often he isolates individual receivers. And the other thing that stood out to me a lot, and some people are going to be like annoyed about this, um, but I don't think you can be, is that they take a lot of down-the-field shots. Um, this is a very vertical offense. But I said this last week, and I think it fits quite well with Sirianni's philosophy. Very different way of doing it, but very aggressive. Um, I had to link this one in there and shout out to somebody on my post who commented this week that I managed to get a play called in and showed that Prescott get sacked in the same play. Um, which wasn't my intention, but I wish I uh, I did. Um, but this is a really good example of like personnel use as well. So it's 12 personnel, it's pistol, it looks like a run, and then they throw like a double post play action. And I think Dak should get the post open here. I think he misses a, I think he misses the read base. I think the second he sees that safety take a step downhill, he should realize that he's got the, uh, he's got a chance to throw this over his head, but he doesn't take it. Um, but I think that's the other thing you see about this offense is you do see a lot of deep shots. Like, don't get me wrong. They are willing to check it down, especially against the Blitz. But I think uh, I saw his ADOT in 2022 from 11 personnel was, I think, eighth highest in the league. Like, they will take their shots. They're very much a – that's why they fit the bill with Sirianni's philosophy. If They will run it against light boxes. But if you stack the box, they will throw it over your heads. Um, you've got some numbers up here. As I said, Shane backs me up with numbers. I say things that I see on the film and then pray that Shane doesn't make me look like an idiot on these podcasts. Uh, Shane, talk through some of the numbers you've got here because once again, uh, I think I'm sounding correct when he was with the Cowboys anyway. Yeah, you mentioned like backing up what you feel like with numbers. Uh, I actually tried to do this, this this morning. I was looking at some numbers because I felt like that Kellen Moore keeps his running backs into block a lot more than the Eagles did. And that actually turned out not to be true. Um, the Eagles kept their running backs into block on 18% of the snaps in 2023 uh, per Sports Info Solutions, and the Chargers did it at 19%. Uh, the Cowboys in 2022 did it at 17.5%. So sometimes what you feel like you're seeing is not accurate, but uh, it is here. So the, here on the screen, there's some 11 personnel tendencies. And again, this shows 21, 22, and 23. Obviously, 23 is not with Kellen Moore, but... Uh, Speaking specifically of 2022, 63% of the Cowboys snaps they took out of 11 personnel and they passed it 65% of the time, which sounds like a lot. That actually ranked 23rd in the league. Uh, So 22 teams were more pass heavy out of 11 personnel than the Cowboys were. Uh, But when they passed the ball, their A dot was 8.4 yards, which was tense. They were trying to push the ball downfield. They would try to... Uh, you know, they would mix in play action off of those and things. But the one bigger tell they do have is if you look at their 12 personnel tendencies, when the Cowboys were in 12 personnel in 2022, which was 22% of the time, it was the 11th highest rate in the league. 
Uh, they called run plays 63% of the time, which was the sixth highest in the league. So there's not necessarily as big a tell as you would think, just looking at the numbers pass run out of 11 personnel, but they did have a strong preference to run the ball uh, out of 12 personnel. But when they did pass that dot again was high 8.7 yards, which ranked 11th. So, uh, and we talked about last week, they love to run outside zone out of 12 personnel. Uh, and then they would set up those play actions off of that. But just some interesting, you know, I've tweeted these. If you're just listening uh, on audio platforms, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see all the other, you know, the pass ratios, success rates, all of that. Uh, but that's me nerding out about stats while Johnny nerds out about scheme and it meshes well. Um, the other thing I'd say as well, Shane, uh, on those stats point is I do know one stat that uh, I, sh- I don't know the exact stat. I'm not that good, but I do know that Justin Herbert's A dot was incredibly low in 2022. So I think seeing him ranked like sixth um, in A dot from 12, and I think the year before you had him at like 14th um, on your sheet there, um, that's actually a big difference. So I think you can sort of tell that he changed a lot in a single year. Um, which again backs up my point that I think he is somebody philosophically that wants to push the ball down the field and therefore fits quite nicely with Nick Sirianni's uh, offensive philosophy. Um, to be honest, the main things I was going to talk about, I spoke about run game, I spoke about like down the field shots, I spoke about isolating the X and trips. Um, we spoke about having different answers to different plays uh, or, or to different defensive looks. Is there anything else schematically that you wanted to get in? Because I feel like we hit a lot last week as well in terms of naked bootlegs and stuff as well under center we spoke about last time. Um, that's sort of it for me. The only thing I would finally throw in is just I think he runs a fair few more like not trick plays, but like creative plays, should we say. Um, I think the Eagles last year were quite boring in terms of they didn't really run anything particularly like to try and catch defense out. Um, I'm not going to show you loads of trick plays because there's quite a few actually wide receiver like fake runs or wide receiver uh, reverses. I will just show you this one from uh, at coach Dan Casey, who is such a good scheme follow. Um, if you'd like um, basically just seeing offensive plays every day. And this play is just awesome. It is like a, a fake fly sweep, which is what I was on about with the they running a lot of wide receiver sweeps. Then they fake, they're going to toss it and then they end up throwing it to the running back anyway. And if you haven't seen this play, uh, it's worth loading up the YouTube just for this because it's just such a fun play. And I think they will be a little bit more creative, um, especially in the red zone. We saw this last week as well. We looked at the run game. I think he's not afraid of a bit of creativity. And I think the Eagles were almost last year. We spoke about their arrogance of like, we don't need this because we're better than the opposition. We've got better players. Um, I think that the uh, Eagles next year will maybe be a little bit more creative in the red zone and try stuff out rather than just assuming that they're going to win every time. But yeah, that's sort of it. I must admit, schematically for for where I am, um, that's like the main parts, the Kenamore offense that I wanted to touch on. Yeah, uh, for your thing about Justin Herbert, uh, I've got that. You know, I've got that too. Uh, so in 2022, Justin Herbert's average depth of target was 6.9 yards, which ranked 29th in the NFL. Uh, in 2023, it was 8.2, which ranked 12th in the NFL. So a big jump there for Herbert. Yeah, that's pretty obvious as well, isn't it? In terms of they hired more to push the ball further down the field. Like that's not by chance uh, at all. Yeah, and if you look at Herbert's ADOT, 22 was his lowest of his career. At 20 and 21, he was in the high sevens, but he'd never crossed eight before. So, Yeah, that's they're they're very good numbers actually because they back up what the film shows. It's always nice. It's always nice. Uh, You're not going mad when you're watching film. 
Uh, right, we said before we, we promised this will be less than 45. We've now passed 45 in true uh, on the Shane Page style. Um, so I think we said we'd end with some like big picture faults uh, very quickly. So do you want to start like uh, with not one of those podcasts that's really going to grade the higher? You're not going to hear any B minuses from me. Um, but what do you think? So we've spoke about it philosophically. How are you feeling like a couple of weeks on about the higher uh, positive, negative? Give me a general thoughts. Yeah, I'll give it a B minus. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> uh, I I like the Kellen Moore hire a lot. When I put out my, I tried to get ahead of candidate, head coach candidates, offensive coordinator candidates, uh, and I, you know, wrote up a thread on Twitter to talk about it. So, and it's the same thing I try to do with drafts, so I can come back. And it's not revisionist, like I said before. The Eagles made their moves. Kellen Moore didn't make that list because I didn't know Kellen Moore would be available at the time I wrote it. Uh, and this will sound revisionist, but he would have been the number one offensive coordinator on my list. Uh, were he, or did I know he was going to be available? Um, he's an experienced play caller, and he certainly checks the fresh ideas box uh, in the use of motion. And even last year is like as big a disaster as the Chargers were. If you exclude the last five games when Justin Herbert was out, with all their other injuries, they were still ninth in EPA per pass and tenth in explosive pass rate. Um, I think the offense will be prepared for whatever defenses throw at them next season. However, this offense is going to put a lot on Jalen Hurts to make correct reads pre-snap and post-snap. Um, if he's able to do it successfully, he's going to have answers for whatever the defense calls. It's go You can tell that Kellen Moore used to be a quarterback. This offense is intensive on a quarterback to read things out. But at the same time, like even though the Eagles offense was so simple, so much of it was shotgun and RPO based and things. And sometimes Kellen Moore just puts his quarterback under center and gives him a playoff because it's, you're going to hand the ball to this guy after we do this motion. And you just don't have to think for the next 30 seconds. And those mental breaks are nice for a quarterback too. So um, I think this is going to put a lot of responsibility on Jalen Hurts with that responsibility comes a lot of flexibility in the answers. I don't think you're going to see these plays where Jalen Hurts just has to roll out and throw it away because the defense didn't bite on the play fake and the AJ Brown vertical routes, not there and there's nothing else available. So I think we'll learn a lot about Jalen Hurts this year. Um, you know, similarly to, we're going to learn some of his preferences. If like the Eagles are not under center at all next year, that's a Jalen Hurts thing. Uh, he doesn't want it. If the Eagles don't run motion, that's a Jalen Hurts thing. He doesn't want it. If Jalen Hurts doesn't throw over the middle next year, it's time to be concerned about that because Kellen Moore designs things to take over that part of the field. If the Eagles are consistently losing to the blitz, that's probably a Jalen Hurts thing. So we're going to find out. We talked about a lot down the stretch. How do you riddle out you know, the responsibilities between Jalen Hurts, Brian Johnson, and Nick Sirianni? Well, one way to do that is you change a variable and you bring in Kellen Moore and you give him control of the offense. And that sort of removes Nick Sirianni from the equation a bit. And it allows you to isolate, like, were these structural things coming from Johnson Sirianni? Is it limitations of Hertz? And I don't have, I, I have a feeling, I mean, I see Hertz checking things at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, I pointed out on some all 22s, some really good checks he made. I don't think it's an inability to do that. But I can't say for sure because he hasn't been tasked with running an offense that's more complex. And we're going to see that this year. So 
I think Moore is a good hire, and I think we'll learn a lot about Jalen Hurts this year. I love it. I would try not to repeat everything you've said because um, I would also give it a B minus, Shane. Um, <laughs> so uh, what I had written down, and I haven't written my article on this, so that gives me a nice little uh, sort of plan before I write it. But I had written down, I wanted a head coach who used motion, um, done. I wanted a head coach who could basically be good against the blitz, and I think proven, done. Um, I wanted someone who's a proper play caller, uh, not a first-time guy who's going to be like overruled by Nick Sirianni. I wanted someone with experience who will actually run something new and his offense. And I think the under-center game is a massive, massive win. I think the naked bootleg is a massive win. Um, he is backed up by good numbers. Like statistically, his numbers are basically good everywhere he goes. They weren't brilliant last year, but it's not just a one-year thing. His numbers are good over time. And I always look at what other people speak about him, and he's been ranked very highly. He's had head coaching interviews, et cetera, et cetera. Um, on to the more negatives for me. I mean, not really negatives. They're just questions, let's say. Uh, number one, can Hurts handle under center? So is that something he can actually do himself? Is it the fact that they're not using it because the naked bootleg and the run game is a massive uh, negative without him carrying the ball? Uh, he has had two very cerebral quarterbacks. How will he adjust to having somebody who's maybe not? And I think Hurts is as good, if not better, than Dak and Herbert. Herbert's a better player, in my opinion, but not necessarily on film so far in his career in terms of just like intangibles and traits. That doesn't mean Hurts is worse than Dak. They're just different. Dak's better pre-snap. Dak's a better post-snap. But Hurts' running game, uh, athleticism, deep ball is definitely better. So it's a tricky one. But he's, they're not, he's not in the same ballpark in terms of pre-snap that we've seen the other two uh, be. So how will Hurts uh, handle that? Um, I also do look at the fact he had one year with Herbert and essentially was fired. I know Brandon said he was fired. So whether more would have been kept or not. But he didn't manage to produce with a very, very talented quarterback. And at the end of the day, he was fired as well by Mark McCarthy. Um, I think that was a stupid firing. And I think the offense, basically, look at the advanced numbers, would not as good, uh, if not not significantly better anyway. Um, so I think that's sort of my main negative. It's exactly what you put. There's going to be a lot on Hurts this year. And I think that's actually a positive. But it could be a negative in terms of it may not work. Uh, we are going to find out a lot. I think his offense does demand quite a lot from the quarterback. But I think he does give him the answers. And that's all I want to see. I just want to see what level of processing Hurts can handle. And it could be that Kellen Moore scales it back slightly which is perfectly fine. They may not need to run everything as complex as he has in the past. Uh, and that's not a negative on Hertz. It could be because Hertz has got such unique athletic talents that you don't need to be as good in the standard dropback game. So I think overall, um, I'm excited by the hire. I think it ticks the boxes that I wanted it to tick. It doesn't mean it's going to work. Um, I've spent a lot of time watching Kenny Moore's offenses. I really like them. It doesn't mean it will work at all. No one knows how it will mesh. But I would say, final thing, I think it does mesh with Sirianni's overall philosophy. And I've said that a few times. It's a very different scheme. But I think how he wants to win should work well for this Eagles offense. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction to make. The offense might not be as complicated because Dak and Justin Herbert are both very cerebral quarterbacks. And maybe Jalen Hurts is, and he hasn't been asked to do it. I always say that, you know, there's a difference in not being able to do it and not being asked to do it. And I always point back to Dallas Goddard, who in my draft work coming out of his draft I said at North Dakota State he wasn't asked to run block ever and a lot of people assumed that meant he couldn't run block and in fact he's a really good run blocker he just wasn't asked to we'll see what Jalen Hurts can handle and if he can't handle all of that that doesn't necessarily that's not I mean ideally you can but that doesn't mean you can't be a really good offense you can't be an MVP candidate you can't go compete for a Super Bowl not every quarterback has to process like Peyton Manning uh, or like Tom Brady, because there's things that Hertz brings to the table in terms of mobility that those guys didn't. And so 
it's a sliding scale. You can't be a 10 on everything. And uh, I trust that Kellen Moore will be able to adjust his offense to fit his personnel best. We've never seen Kellen Moore with a mobile quarterback. And so I'm in, I, I'm really can't wait to see, you know, what sort of things he's able to do in the QB design, the running game, the scrambles and things like that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all meshes together. Uh, we, I can't wait to see it. Can't wait to break it down. And we'll certainly be doing that uh, as we ramp up to the season. Uh, but this is going to put a bow on our Kellen Moore deep dive. Um, lots of stuff planned. We will be doing some shorter podcasts. We say uh, talking some free agency things. We're going to dive more into some Fangio things throughout the summer. So if you guys have things that you would like to hear us talk about from a schematic standpoint, things you want us to dig into, hit us up on Twitter and let us know. You can drop it in the comments on the YouTube video because uh, we certainly want to make this podcast uh, whatever is most beneficial for you guys. So if there's something you're interested in, let us know. Uh, otherwise, thank you for listening to 55 minutes of a Super Bowl slash Kellen Moore podcast in February. Uh, we really appreciate you guys. Make sure you're subscribed on the BGN radio feed so you get all of the episodes. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, please give us a thumbs up. Drop us the comments. We read those. We really enjoy interacting with you guys. And we will catch you next week. Uh, to talk about something. We'll figure it out between now and then. So we will sign off. Go Birds. <laughs>